BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, I'm Crystal Knight and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. This week, I am sharing updates about the death of Tyree Nichols, the young African-American man in Memphis, Tennessee. On January the 7th, he was pulled over for allegedly driving reckless. He was aggressively pulled from his car, tased, beaten. He ran for his life. Police officers caught up with him and they continued to beat him. It's important to note that Tyree Nichols is a black man. The officers who beat him were five black men. And there's one white officer who's also been implicated in this case. Three days after sustaining the brutal beatings where officers stumped on him, held his hands behind his back, punched him, kicked him, all of the unimaginable things, he succumbed to his injuries and died in the hospital. The Memphis police chief, Chief Davis, who also happens to be an African-American black woman, she moved swiftly to fire the officers because they failed to render aid. Three EMS workers who arrived at the scene, they also failed to render aid. Two sheriff deputies who also arrived at the scene failed to render aid. Ultimately, all of these people who were in and around what happened to Tyree Nichols on the night of January the 7th, failed to render aid. And they should all be prosecuted, in my opinion, to the fullest extent. It is unjust, it is unconscionable that people would sit around while someone is visibly and audibly in pain and they have the power and the resources to help them, and they do not. The five black police officers have already been charged with second-degree murder. The three EMS workers have been fired. The two sheriff deputies have been relieved of their duties while their actions are being investigated. And ultimately, another black life has been lost. I'm tired of telling this story. It's old. America should be tired. Police departments should be tired. But here we are. Again, today I'm speaking with someone who is a part of the legal team and an activist who's been involved with the Justice for Tyree movement. I think it's important that we hear both sides of what's happening on the legal front, but also what are activists on the ground pushing for in Memphis for greater accountability. I hope that you will really listen in on this week's conversation and walk away hoping that this is the last we'll hear of this type of story, but also understanding that just because officers are black who commit crimes against black citizens doesn't mean that the policing system still isn't inherently racist and isn't built on a system of white supremacy. This week, I'm speaking to Van Turner. He's the president of the Memphis branch of the NAACP. He's also the chair of the Tennessee NAACP Legal Redress Committee, and he's provided advisory counsel for the family's attorney, attorney Ben Crump, and provided legal counsel to the family involved in this situation surrounding the Tyree Nichols murder. Van, I'd like to just welcome you to the show and thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Absolutely. So I think, you know, many listeners have probably already heard about this case, but it's it's probably good for us to just do a general recap about what has happened in Memphis and where we are today. I'm at the time of this recording with, you know, case law, things that are happening as it relates to charges that have been brought 
I think, you know, yesterday I saw that out of the five officers that have already been fired and charged, um, two other officers were placed on leave while their actions are being investigated. And either two or three EMS workers have been fired. And so I'd just like for you to kind of recap the entire case for us as we get into the conversation. Well, again, thank you for having me. I I wish this would be under better circumstances, but uh, yes, you are correct. What we have here is an incident in which several officers and first responders were involved. And so what most people have seen, they've seen the five officers who are all African-American and who are all participatory in some way in the actual beating of Mr. Nichols. They were immediately terminated. They were immediately indicted, charged with murder to mm-hmm. kidnapping. And the video footage reveals that much. Right. What's not so much revealed is the, the participation of a white officer who's just been put on leave. I think that's been the new uh, story that's come out of late. Mm-hmm. And so that makes the sixth officer. There have been two, three actually emergency medical technicians, a white man, a black man and a black female who were all what we call EMTs, emergency medical technicians. And they should have rendered aid and they did not render aid to Mr. Nichols for about 20 minutes. Right. And you also have two sheriff deputies who have been placed on leave. And so the numbers keep growing. And and really, you know, that's just heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. You have these many first responders who have taken an oath to serve and to protect and to render aid and to intervene and to assist the community in times of crisis. And nobody does a thing. They allow when they beat Tyree, then they allow him to uh, sit up there and essentially uh, pass away. And they should have intervened and they should have assisted, but they did. Right. And so what has been shared about the case is that Tyree Nichols was allegedly driving recklessly, he was pulled over and has been alleged that maybe he got physical and officers responded in kind. Now, the videotape that has come out did not show the encounter prior to the officers actually walking up to the car. And from my perspective, it looks like they were aggressively getting him, yanking him or pulling him out of the car. So we don't see the, the, we don't see the, the part where, you know, he's pulled over. They're walking up to the car. The video that I saw, I only saw when the door was open and they are aggressively literally pulling him out of the car. That's what they're yeah. doing. And it appeared yes. to be aggression from beginning until he literally just couldn't move anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's absolutely right. That's the involvement of the white officer who's just been sort of uh, put out there as as one participating. So they stop Tyree Nichols. And that's where the video picks up. Right. After he stopped. Right. Mm-hmm. You see them running up to Mr. Nichols and, and one officer pulls out a handgun. This is actually the deployment of his of his weapon. OK. And so they, they pull Nichols out. Uh, I think two officers do so. And then they begin to show that aggression that we all saw. Right. And Tyree Nichols asks, you know, what have I done wrong? Right. And he says, hey, man, y'all are doing a little too much. And so then, although he's complying, they're still rough with him. Correct. They end up pepper spraying him. They end up tasing him and he he flees for his life. Mm -hmm. He's fleeing for survival at this point because he knows this is not right. Yeah. And so you see the one officer going go into his car. They don't find anything. No drugs, no gun. So, you know, then you have an issue at that point with the Fourth Amendment right to privacy. What was the reasonable suspicion or the probable cause to do any of this mm-hmm. as far as a search and seizure of Mr. Nichols that evening? You have no justification. Right. So he's able to run from the intersection of Reigns and Ross, which is right around the corner. Mm-hmm. And that's my uh, commission, di- my old commission district. Mm-hmm. I know that area very well. Okay. And he makes it uh, to uh, Bear Creek and Castlegate, which is the intersection. Mm-hmm. And that's just about 100 yards from his home. I went out there a couple of days ago as well. And literally, Crystal, if he would have 
you know, been able to make it another 50 yards and make a turn to the right, another 50 yards, he would have been at his home in the cold. So when you hear him crying out for his mother three times, he is literally calling out for, for his mother. If his mother had been out, you know, getting the mail or taking the trash out or something, she maybe could have heard him. Right. And um, helped him. But he was literally calling out for his mother because he was that close. It was to that close. Home. Wow. This is something that I haven't heard yet, but were any other neighbors in that neighborhood alerted by his cries? Were they made aware that something was happening, some kind of commotion was happening outside of their homes? And did any of them either go to the window or are there any witness accounts beyond the police, you know, body cameras and the street cameras? Are there any witness accounts to people who were at home at the time that this took place? Or have you been made aware of that at least? I haven't. However, the investigation is still pending. It is mm-hmm. baffling to me if no one heard what was going on because he was screaming. Yeah. And there was a lot of commotion. And, you know, that wasn't a, a silent situation. Uh, the officers were loud. The brutalization was loud. Tyree's screams were loud. Officers were everywhere. Sirens were everywhere. Now, there's unwritten rule in the community when these guys are out and about these specialty units, mm-hmm. when, when that much is going on, you just stay out, you know, you stay out of the way and you mind your own business. Unfortunately, some in the community kind of know that and feel that way because you don't want to be involved in any way. If you witness something, then you have to go to court and testify. Right. So obviously right. no one wants to be involved because there's a fear of, retaliation and intimidation if you do testify or you do get involved then you endanger your life and your family's life so unfortunately no one that i can see right now has stepped forward from the community to say what they saw now there are rumors that there were that there was other video cameras from a cell phone and uh the 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 doorbells Mm -hmm. the electronic doorbells they say that there's footage uh, that probably comes from those sources as well. But uh, as far as another individual stepping up as a witness, I don't think anyone has come forward yet or that hadn't been made known to the public. Right. OK. And and I want to just kind of address something that you just stated about if someone witnessed it, there's this this culture about snitching where you, you don't want to come forward for fear of retaliation. And part of it is you see police doing something wrong. And how do you kind of figure out how to call the police on a bad actor as police are actively, obviously all of this is subjective, but brutalizing someone and it doesn't appear to be right. This person appears to be screaming. And on top of that, you see EMS arrive and they're just standing around. And so that that really speaks to the culture of policing in this country and where we are that we don't even feel comfortable to call the police on police because of, you know, the, the, the lack of, of retribution or the lack of, you know, justice that you fear may not be served by even speaking up about police brutality or police misconduct in this country. Absolutely. And that's an issue. That's the culture that uh, Attorney Crump mentioned at one of the other press conferences that we need to counsel to counsel this type of culture to where right. you are scared of the very people who are there to serve and protect you. Absolutely. So that's an issue. You're scared of the folks terrorizing the neighborhood and the community, and you're scared of the people who are supposed to be there to combat the so-called criminals in the community. So where does the average citizen turn? Mm-hmm. You know, how, how are they protected? Yeah. Where where is the the safety there? So this this is going to require a a massive rebuilding of trust Mm -hmm. between law enforcement and the community. We can't live like this. No, Uh, there is a crime problem here in the city. But we have to get to the root cause of the crime problem, which is poverty, lack of hope, uh, you know, unequal education, so on and so forth. This leads to the crime, which then results in their to have a need for the Scorpion unit to begin with. So as we kind of look at this issue, I think we need to look at it holistically and we need to not just treat the symptom. 
Mm-hmm. We've disbanded the Scorpion unit. Right. Problem fixed. Well, no, the problem is far from fixed. And yeah. so we, we have to get to the un- underlying root causes of why we're here. And that's where we need to start. And that's how we truly define justice for Tyree Nichols. Mm-hmm. Passing the policies at the at the state and local level, which need to be passed. And also really taking a hard look at how we're addressing the systemic problems which lead to crime in our communities. Correct. And let's talk about the Scorpion unit, because one of the things that I heard um, someone that we have in common, a friend of ours, um, Pastor Earl Fisher, he was on CNN and he said that, you know, a lot of people are giving the police commissioner, uh, I guess, congratulations for disbanding the Scorpion unit, but she's the one who implemented the Scorpion unit. And people have dug up, you know, her history of police um, oversight in other cities where she has been a leader, um, namely Atlanta. And this is pretty par for the course where she commissions a unit that really is unruly, no, no rules allowed, no supervision. And then once something like this happens, now it's easy to just disband it. it it's not right. You know, so how do you how do you fix that culture when you have a police commissioner creating units that literally are going out terrorizing residents of a city. And then when something of this nature happens, um, it's, it's easy to disband it. It's easy also to fire the officers, but that still doesn't fix the culture and why that unit was created and the way that people feel about their relationship with the police department. Yeah. So I'm very familiar with the Red Dogs. I think that was the name of the unit in Atlanta. Okay. I've seen them in action as a, as a student at Morehouse College in the mid-90s. I vividly recall them using these kinds of tactics in southwest Atlanta to apprehend individuals and to, quote-unquote, enact uh, what they thought was justice in the community mm-hmm. and carry out law enforcement. So I put myself... In order to really look at this, let's put ourselves in the shoes of C.J. Davis. So all of that background is, is from Atlanta. Right. The issue with the Red Dogs. I think they, they ended up mistakenly killing a 92-year-old lady. And so that is this disbanded. There are issues from there. So uh, now she moves to Memphis and crime is on the rise. Everyone is complaining. We're tired of car break-ins. We're tired of carjackings, murderers. So on and so forth. Memphis is one of the most violent cities in the in the country. So what are we going to do? Hence, you form this unit uh, to go out and try to resolve some of the issues because the community cry a year ago when she first got in that position was we need to resolve crime in the community. Crime is absolutely absolutely too high. Yeah. So this unit is formed. It's unsupervised. Uh, there are issues. Uh, they go out and they commit this murder. And so where are you now if you're in her position? Crime is not going away. And this Scorpion unit is out of control. So what has to happen? And I think that's where she finds herself. And if we were to place her ourselves in her shoes, it's, it's difficult. But I think what you have to do is you have to start one building trust back with the community. Right. The community on your side can resolve many of the issues which are occurring in the community. If the community is not with you, then many of these issues will remain unresolved. Mm -hmm. So building the trust back with the community will allow you to get the good tips, will allow those mothers and fathers and aunts and grandmothers to come forward and say, yes, my grandchild, I hate to tell you, was involved in that carjacking last night, was involved in that attempted murder last night i'm turning him over because the next time it can be somebody else Mm -hmm. that i know and love so i have to turn my grandchild my nephew over Mm -hmm. when you have that type of community trust of law enforcement i think you're really going to start seeing the issues resolved and there'll be no need for these tactical units to come out and use these jump and grab tactics to terrorize the community in the name of law enforcement. Right. I I don't think that we're going to resolve our issues going about that way. So hopefully Chief Davis will take this to heart and she will uh, uh, embark upon a process of healing uh, the relationship with the community, building trust with the community 
mm-hmm. and really get into the root cause of, of the issues. And that's the mistrust. And that's the unwillingness of individuals in the community who are suffering the most from crime, mm-hmm. but are afraid to step forward and work with law enforcement to resolve that crime. And something that you just said really resonated with me about the community being on your side, having trust. And many people who are, you know, looking at this from a bird's eye would say you have a black police commissioner. Memphis is a majority black city. All of these officers, the first five, at least, let me say that the first five that were fired were black officers um, and a black man, you know, who who is the victim. And so a lot of the cases that we've seen across this country have involved white police officers um, being unruly or brutalizing black bodies. And this is not the case in, in, in Memphis in this particular instance. These are five black officers, many of them young, right? Like they're in their early parts of their police careers, Few of them graduated from college, even pledged. And still this kind of brutality happens at an alarming rate to black men. And so I've seen different types of commentary over the last week or so, just talking about how the institution of policing is problematic. And even the institution is still racialized, even though this was a black on black instance. Now, obviously there were, there was another white police officer that you mentioned at the top um, that has also been relieved of his duties. And, you know, you mentioned the white EMS driver. Um, You also mentioned the black woman that was an EMS worker and the black man that was an EMS worker. So, but the majority of the people who were involved in Um, not rendering aid, not being helpful to Tyree Nichols or black people. And that is problematic on the larger discussion about crime, policing, but also, again, about trust. And we're talking about building trust. We want to see police officers that look like us in our communities. But if they brutalize us and do the same thing that we're complaining about white officers doing, how is that helpful? Like, how do we hold ourselves and these institutions accountable for these kinds of things so that another black person does not have to die at the hands of a police officer? Yeah, I think that that's a, a good question. And I guess if you look at the history of of us in this country, this is not new to us. Correct. I mean, essentially, um, someone pointed out that the police, the whole institution was created actually to capture slaves back in Correct. Virginia and in the Carolinas. And so that's where you actually get the start of policing. And then when you look at. uh what happened on the plantations and sometimes you have the black overseers who would be more brutal than the white overseers just to prove to the white overseers that they were fully committed, uh, you know, to them and they were dedicated. Right. Right. And so Malcolm called it the house in the field. And right. we all know what, what he was talking about in that instance. Right, and so right, you right. bring that up uh, to now and, you know, essentially you have officers acting out, uh, because they've internalized a system of, of white supremacy mm. and they don't view Tyree Nichols as another black man. They view him as something other than themselves. The only color they see is the color of blue. And unfortunately, blue has 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 internalized white supremacy when it comes to black and brown communities in such a way that Tyree Nichols was not their brother. He wasn't their cousin. He wasn't a nephew. He was just, uh, you know, someone that they caught, someone that fought to survive and questioned them. What have I done wrong? How dare you question me, my authority? Mm -hmm. And they beat him to death. So uh, I heard uh, a law enforcement agent say this morning that it's probably a hiring problem. You know, could this have been caught when the hiring of these five officers first occurred. I mean, who knows? But certainly we have to have a, a, a undoing of this culture, which incorporates and internalizes white superior, white, uh, white superiority and supremacy when it comes to dealing with black. We have to root that out first. And then I think we start from there because what those officers saw 
that evening uh, was just another black man who in their minds had to have done something wrong. You've done some, something wrong. Mm -hmm. If we look hard enough, if we beat you hard enough, if, if we tear your car up, Right. Uh, you know, well enough, we're going to find something. And so, you know, you're already a criminal because you are black or mm -hmm. brown. And that's a problem with law enforcement. That's that has to be rooted out. The culture has to be counseled. And obviously we see that the race of the individual matters. And it's the individual who's on the receiving end of the arrest or the seizure or the excessive force, not necessarily the race of the person perpetuating uh, that type of brutalization and that type of excessive use of force as an officer. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the things that I, I definitely wanted to ask as well was about the reason or the alleged reason that he was pulled over. There have been rumors about Tyree Nichols. Um, maybe he had an interpersonal relationship with one of the officer's wives or girlfriends or something of that nature. And so I just wanted you to, if you're able to share and maybe clear the air about that, if you've heard that, if that's true. And even if it is true, I, I want to just say having a, a relationship with someone um, does not warrant that person dying, regardless of yeah. how anyone feels about a person's actions. And I'm careful to say that these are allegations. This is not anything that has been officially stated, but as you know, the streets talk. <laughs> and so yeah. um, I just want to know, you know, have you heard that? Um, it's my understanding that, you know, one of the officers was going through a, either a separation or a divorce and Tyree and his former partner, were intimate or they they had some type of relationship, interpersonal relationship. And this was a retaliation, more of a revenge type of situation rather than um, Tyree actually speeding or driving recklessly. And so I just wanted to ask you directly, have you heard about that? Um, this rumor that's going around, is there any truth to it? Will this be something that will come out later in the public sphere and the legal sphere and how will it, you know, affect the case against these these five men? Yeah. So the father has spoken and he stated that this is not true. OK, and so there was a prayer vigil last night at the, at the actual site where Tyree lost his life. And the father came out and spoke and he says, please stop this rumor from going around that my son was was doing something like that with one of the officers, uh, girls or ex ex-ladies and so that's where we are with that okay uh essentially if this is the case and the father didn't know about it and tyree was involved in that way with the young lady that was somehow connected to one of the officers to me that that takes the charge for murder two potentially to murder one because it know? becomes so premeditated it, it right it, yeah it's premeditated it makes it worse for the officer mm-hmm but as it stands, I, I don't think any of that has been validated. Okay. Uh, I'm sure this has made it to those who are investigating the case and so that they're probably looking into it. Mm -hmm. The other issue as well is that these officers have used these kinds of tactics before. Two days earlier, there was a gentleman who was pulled over and treated in much the same way. Going to get a piece of pulled out his car, gun held to his hand. He made two complaints. No one responded to his complaints. Two or three days later, Tyree, who had to go through this same type of treatment, loses his life. So this just could be rogue officers who are out doing this type of thing to the community, preying upon the community. And unfortunately, it ends in the, the death of Tyree Nichols on the night of January the 7th. And that could also just be a factor. This is what these guys did. They call, you know, they call what they did effective police and then it ended up in the death of Tyree Nichols. So. But to that rumor, we'll see what happens. Uh, if we know about it, they know about it, right? The investigators. Right. So I'm sure they're looking into it, see if there's any truth. To it. And if so, I think they'll have to take a, a look at the uh, charges that are pending now. Right. Okay. And so then I also wanted to ask, there are a couple of 
investigations that are running parallel surrounding this particular case. So there's what happened the night at the scene of the crime. There's investigation happening around the medics, the EMS medics who did arrive but did not render aid. Um, There's also an investigation around sheriff deputies and why they even went to the scene. What was their involvement? Um, There's also a federal civil rights investigation that's happening. And then the five officers, as we've already stated, um, have been charged with second degree murder. How do all of those cases and and I want to clarify are those the cases that are actively underway, the investigations that are actively underway? If there are others, would you share that with our with our listeners as well? I think you've touched on all the investigations, a federal investigation, and then the investigations into the various officers who were involved, which included, as you stated, mm-hmm. Memphis Police Department, Shelby County Sheriff's Department, uh, Memphis firefighters, which were the emergency medical technicians. And then, obviously, you know, the federal investigation of the parenting practices of the Memphis Police Department to see was this a pattern of practice used before? And could this have been prevented if the pattern and practice was stopped uh, prior to the death of Tyree Nichols? So I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head. Those are all the ongoing investigations that I'm aware of at this point. It's pretty broad and it could get broader. Mm-hmm. You know, because each day we learn about the involvement of somebody that should have done something and right. failed to do something. And now Tyree is dead because of their of their failure to act. And as a former county commissioner, is it customary that sheriff deputies arrive at the scene of a alleged traffic stop? Is that customary for sheriff deputies to be called in and show up on the scene of a of an alleged again an alleged traffic stop no I, I i there was no reason for any deputies to be there this was not something which required backup mm-hmm. for additional officers you already have there from the Memphis police department why would deputies be there other than to you know i don't know what they were there for but there were plenty of Memphis police officers there the emts had made the scene to render aid, but they didn't render aid for about 20 minutes. So I don't know why the deputies were there, but unfortunately, when they got there, they didn't intervene. They didn't render aid and they they didn't do anything to help save the life of Tyree. So now they're implicated. You know, so I have seen deputies and Memphis police officers working together, but these have been essentially, it appears, scenes and cases where they normally would work together and there was something more than just a routine traffic stop occurring. So here, I don't don't know why the deputies were were involved and I'm sure that needs to be investigated. The fact that the names came out much later on, Mm -hmm. you know, after the fact, why weren't these deputies and their identities and their involvement revealed much earlier? Right. That's a question as well. So I think there are going to be many questions that need to be addressed as it relates to the involvement of the deputies in respect to the death of Tyree. One of the things that I did, I don't think I stated this at the top, but you you mentioned it, an investigation about the patterns and practices of the Memphis Police Department. That's something that many people will want to know. And I think the other thing is, you know, if a few of these officers or one of the officers, it was alleged that he acted improperly with another victim, why that investigation did not go further, which would have prevented this this whole situation with Tyree Nichols. That seems to be something as well that will be investigated around, you know, supervisory, you know, actions or protocols. Um, But I think the other thing that I've heard in the news is that Chief Davis did not have any type of field supervisors out um, monitoring police officers that are on the ground. Is that the case right now that there's no level between a patrol cop and maybe a superintendent or whatever the next step up in the law enforcement ladder of leadership is. Yeah. I think that after this been investigated before the, the prior incident with the young man, maybe we could have stopped the death of Tyree Nichols. And the fact that that young man called twice 
and he didn't get any type of response or answer to his complaint is an issue as well. So that's why I think the pattern and practices of this particular unit have to be investigated. And you're absolutely right. All of these officers had about five years or less uh, serving uh, on the Memphis Police Department, yet they were on a, a specialized tactical unit. Right. So it, it would just seem to me that your more senior officers should be the ones involved in these kinds of specialty units because mm-hmm. they have more experience on the force. They, quote unquote, paid their dues and they are mature enough and have seen and have been seen as responsible enough to be in this capacity. And not these young officers. And if you were going to have these young officers, where was the senior leadership to help them and to assist them? And you don't see it here. So I think from top down, they're going to have to really look at this, um, this particular unit, as well as other special units that may be in the, on the force. And the flip side of it is that they've had a tough time hiring mm-hmm. officers. And when the benefits and pensions were cut some years back, many of the senior leadership on the force left. So there's a vacuum there. And unfortunately, you know, these officers feel the vacuum and then have the expertise or the temperament or the good sense to not, you know, brutalize uh, Mr. Nichols in the way that they did. And now they're charged with murder too. So I think uh, many factors have, have, you know, went into what we saw that night on January the 7th, but definitely there has to be a top-down analysis and review of of how these units are put together, who's on staff, right? how do they select these individuals to be on these units, and where is the senior leadership once these units are out and they're in the field? Is there any other information that our listeners should just know about about the state of the case right now? So we know five officers have been fired and charged with murder. Two, two other officers, including a white officer, has been relieved of duties while they are investigated for their involvement. Three EMS employees have been let go, two sheriff deputies as well. Are there any other developing topics or news about this case that we should share, although we know that this is still developing and ongoing? You're up to date. The newest thing that came out was the release and, and the um, relief of duty of the sixth officer. I think his name is Hemphill. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where we are now. Tomorrow is the funeral. If the weather holds, tomorrow is the funeral for Mr. Nichols at Mississippi Boulevard. Uh, Reverend Al Sharpton is due to come in. Ben Crump, the attorney, has stated that he is somewhat disappointed that Hemphill uh, was not released with the other his identity and his termination was not released with the other five officers. So he has made that an issue now as it relates to his uh, investigation and his legal analysis of the case. Why was Hemphill left out to begin right. with? And so, you know, that is ongoing and developing. And I think there's going to be more to come over the next days and weeks. So we may have to reconvene ourselves and, and update okay, yeah. everyone on, on what what's going on. But I, this is quickly developing. And we continue to ask and fight for justice for Tyree. The mother, Miss Rovon Wells, has asked for a Tyree Nichols criminal reform bill from the Tennessee General Assembly. And there have been legislators who jumped on that. And we will support that from the NACP. So there's a lot that needs to happen, a lot that will take place over the next days and weeks. And, and I'll be uh, happy to rejoin you again to sort of discuss issues as, as this case continues to evolve. Yes, let's stay in close contact, because as news develops about this, I would love to update this story before we release it. But for now, I want to say thank you so much for giving me a little bit of your time and just sharing with listeners about this case. Thank you for working on this, um, even providing the pro bono services that you're providing to the family um, and, and, you know, providing counsel to Crump as a person who is embedded in the city, who is currently practicing law in the city and as a former elected official and someone who's also actively running for office as well. Um, I just want to thank you for your service, um, not only to the city of Memphis, but also to this case, because what we know, unfortunately, is that this case will continue to be in the national spotlight until every single person involved has been brought to justice 
for this heinous act against Tyree Nichols. And so I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. I'm sure you're very busy to speak with us about what's happening in Memphis. Thank you very much. We'll continue to be in touch. Van Turner. Again, he is the president of the Memphis NAACP branch. He's also the chair of the Tennessee NAACP Legal Redress Committee, and he is providing um, advisory counsel for Tyree Nichols' family, attorney Ben Crump, and providing pro bono um, legal advice and services to the family of Tyree Nichols. So thank you again, Van Turner, for, for joining the show today. Thank you. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Crystal Knight, and welcome back to the show brought to you by Newsweek. I also had the opportunity to speak with Amber Sherman. She's the lead organizer for the Justice for Tyree movement. Amber, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Crystal. Absolutely. And Amber, I know that you're in Memphis leading this movement around protests, around calling for, you know, action on behalf of not only the family, but Tyree and all the victims of police brutality. Can you just share with me like where the movement is today and why you decided to take charge around this particular case? So currently we are still getting demands met um, slowly but surely. The first demand that's been met so far has been the Scorpion unit being deactivated, which was a task force unit Mm -hmm. that brutally attacked Tyree. Secondly, they have relieved the officer of duty, but they haven't fired him yet. Uh, Detective Preston Hemphill, who was one of the people who incited violence against Tyree and actually was the one who tased him. Mm-hmm. He's been relieved of duty uh, pending an investigation, but he hasn't been fired and charged yet, which is what the family is asking for. So we're still continuing to push that demand. Um, there were some firefighters and EMTs who were recently fired yesterday that was just released. Um, and that was definitely a demand that we wanted that was met, but we still want those those folks also charged accordingly because they all still play some part in Tyree um, being murdered, um, whether that was not rendering aid and care or doing the actual you know, beating and violence towards him. So we're continuing to push for those things, as well as having some um, very important policy pieces passed, the Data Transparency Act in the city council and the county commission, which would provide accurate real-time data for traffic stops. So not just folks who are, who are cited for being stopped, but those who don't receive a, tra- a citation but are stopped because what we notice is that oftentimes folks are stopped, but they aren't cited. And those are the ones who are experiencing violence of some kind. Um, and then as well, uh, and to pretextual traffic stops, that, inc- that means not having law enforcement to do traffic enforcement any longer. And they're also no longer forming task force that includes um, deactivating the multi-level gang unit, the organized crime unit. And then, of course, the scrubbing unit has been deactivated. What other demands is this movement asking for? Obviously, you have an early win with the deactivation of the Scorpion unit. What are some of the other things? You mentioned the policy. You mentioned the legislation um, at the city council level. Are there any things out of the mayor's office that you're asking Mayor Strickland to do or Chief Davis to do or even the sheriff, Mm -hmm. Sheriff Bonner's office? What are some of the broader legislative things that you believe this movement can can push forward in light of what has happened? Yeah, we're asking them to take this seriously. And so that includes the the mayor not continuing to give police so much money, not pushing for so much overcriminalization, because that's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why that task force was started was because the mayor was talking about how bad crime was. Um, But he doesn't mention how that over 40 percent of the city's budget goes to policing instead of actually funding the root causes of crime that we've been asking him to fund for years now. This has been a constant push of us asking um, for different things for communities, different resources, even with us doing the people's budget movement, this last budget session of presenting what we consider to be a good budget and what that can do for our communities, providing adequate transportation and adequate 
mental health support. They've continued to ignore that. So it really looks like them taking those demands seriously. And then for CJ, not continuing to, to push for these um, units, but also not making excuses because she was just in these last few days talking about how, you know, the real issue here was the oversight. And the fact that they don't have these different sergeants, because when she first came in, she said for a city this size, she needed over 100 field sergeants. Instead of addressing the fact that this is a culture of policing, mm-hmm. policing in general is a system of white supremacy and it's inherently anti-Black and inherently racist. And what she's doing by adding more folks isn't changing that system, mm-hmm. which is the thing that actually kills Tyree, not you having a field sergeant available. So Amber, what about people who may say, well, if you're saying as an as an activist, as an organizer, having less cops does not ensure safety. How do you counter that message? How do you counter people who will say, you know, I don't like this message about less cops? Would that have prevented um, Tyree Nichols from still being stopped, still having the Scorpion unit attack him in the manner in which they did? How do you respond to that? I think that what, we, what we're asking for is realistic. And for some folks, that does seem unrealistic, and, and it, it is you know, creative. It is like, uh, oh, I don't, I don't understand how that could possibly work. But I asked them to think about suburbs, like the different suburban communities here in Memphis. I grew up in a suburb, or the different suburbs they, you know, might know about. They aren't over police. They don't experience um, the over policing that we're experiencing. They have adequate schools. They have adequate funding. They have uh, good groceries. Um, they're able to go to the grocery store and get actual fresh produce. They're able to get um, mental health resources and they have the, the income level to also get things they need in their communities. Like even if there isn't something available, they can find a way to access it. But in our communities, we don't have that access. And you notice a clear correlation between them not having over-policing in their communities and having adequate resources and having a better quality of life and us not having those same things and being over-policed and having a horrible quality of life. And that is not being, is not getting better because we're continuing to do the same cycles of over-policing and depleting the resources from those neighborhoods. So I think that that's the best example I always give is like, what what does it look like in a suburban neighborhood? And what do they have that we don't have in our communities? And why don't you ask them what they're going to do without police? Many people will say Chief Davis fired the five police officers who were involved Two other officers were relieved of their duties while their, you know, behavior is being investigated. Three EMS um, workers were fired. Two sheriffs have either been fired or they're being relieved of their duties. Some might say, well, why continue to protest? Why do you think that this is important to continue day in and day out, making sure that Tyree Nichols, his life, his name stays in the forefront as you're fighting for better reform in Memphis? The main reason is because we have to prevent Tyree Nichols from ever happening again. Like these egregious murders that, that are happening, folks being assaulted who weren't you know, killed, but they did experience being beat by police in these different task force units. And then, of course, him being murdered. We want to prevent that from ever happening again. And that doesn't look like you just firing in one, in one officer, because the reason why uh, what happened to Tyree Nichols happened is because the system of policing is indoctrinating folks to believe in that black folks are less than that we can be objectified that we aren't human mm-hmm. and that means that we we can't be trusted to keep our, ourselves safe in our own communities we have to be over police for that to happen we have to be always assumed to be criminals and that also looks like folks committing crimes against us including the police and so just firing folks doesn't change that what changes that is immediate reforms immediate policy changes and not ignoring the fact that this is a system issue not just a one-person issue And speaking of the system, it's been shared now that, you know, the latest officer who has been let go, Officer Hemphill, is a white police officer. Um, And it's interesting that, you know, we saw the faces and the names of the five black officers. And many are questioning why a police force that's being led by a black woman in a majority black city would fail to release Officer Hemphill's photo and name in conjunction with the other officers. Do you understand anything differently than maybe our listeners understand about why his name was withheld, why it was released later after much of the damage around, you know, what happened had already been released? Yeah, well, I will just clarify that he hasn't been fired. He's been in relief of duty, so he's being um, investigated, but he's still being paid um, by the police department. And I think the, the main reason that's happening is because he's white. 
like we have to always always um we can't ignore the fact that those black officers are black first Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day they're going to treat them just like that like they're black regardless Mm -hmm. of them being police they're all you know blue lives matter until something actually happens so everyone's all going for each other and holding that allegiance to the force until they're the ones who do something they're going to immediately throw them to the wolves and they're going to protect that white officer at all costs because that's what we do for white people wow what is the movement doing the justice for Tyreek movement doing to hold the police accountable for you know just the discrepancy in the way that the black officers versus this white officer has been treated Oh, we've definitely been bringing it up at um, every protest. We have a National Day of Action plan on Saturday where we're going to be calling attention to all the demands that haven't been met um, and the need for us to get those demands met. But also just in solidarity with Tyree's family as they hold his memorial that day. There are going to be actions all across the U.S., which I think it's important that we continue to hit the streets and call for justice for Tyree and keep the momentum going to actually get those ordinances passed because that's what's going to get us some concrete change. But we definitely are um, upholding the demand about the white officer the most. Because I think that it's ridiculous that I have to do investigative work and go through all these different affidavits and read all these different reports to figure out who um, Detective Hemp Hill was and then finding out who that, that, that was essentially pressing Hemp Hill versus the, the police just doing their job and publishing the information. Because like I've said before, these officers committed an egregious crime. I need to know who they are because in, in my mind, they're a danger to the public. Everyone should know who they are. They should all know that these people don't care about folks when they're um, when they're in trouble, when they need help, when someone's on the ground dying. As an EMT, they stood there and watched him for 20 minutes. As officers, they beat him senselessly. As the white officer, he tased him immediately without even giving him a chance to ask what was going on. He uh, sent the other officers after him and hoped that they caused more violence against him. They never even gave him a chance. And so I think that it's important that we know who everyone involved is because they're dangerous. Yeah, that is dangerous. And I think that that's something that the videotape doesn't necessarily show you all of the nuances behind the the when and how everything unfolded. And so you mentioned that there will be marches this coming Saturday um, around the country with justice for Tyree. I know that he was originally born in Sacramento, California, and there was a march there, um, you know, right after all of the news broke. But how can people get involved um, if they want to take action moving into the weekend? Yeah, you can go to justiceforTyree.com. That's the number four. So justice, the number four, Tyree, T-Y-R-E.com. And they're going to be posting different actions that are happening in different cities all over there. So people can keep up with what's happening. But also on Twitter, um, I'll be posting stuff as it comes in, like making sure folks are abreast of the different actions happening. Um, and and then what's your Twitter on, handle, like, well, Amber? Website. Um, it's Amberism. So A-M-B-E-R-I-S-M-S underscore. And I try to post live updates as much as possible as I get them. And just different things that are going to be happening, like the different actions we're going to be doing, because I want to make sure people know that one, we're still in the streets for, that, for Tyree, but two, you can get involved too. Amber, thank you so much. Um, Again, Amber Sherman, who is the leader of the Justice for Tyree movement out of Memphis, Memphis, Tennessee, leading action, calling for better accountability by the police department and also calling for policy change at the city council and mayoral level. And so I just want to thank you again for joining us today. And I will be sure to um, let folks know how they can, you know, share this information and stay involved. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. The best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Night Show. Mm -hmm.